Today is Tuesday, December 18th, 2018, time for episode 70 of the Barnhart Podcast. And slightly different format yet again. Uh, we just did episode 69 was the spiritual journey of Anne Barnhart. Got a few emails and tweets and other forms of feedback saying, your voice sounded so much different. I could tell you were so much more somber when you recorded that intro and outro. And actually the truth of it is that the body of the podcast was recorded at two or three in the afternoon back in August, and the intro and outro were both recorded before 7 a.m., and my voice is about an octave lower at that time of the morning. So my voice is probably closer to the previous podcast now, but um, I, we're starting to get some pretty good feedback from that, and we will address it in later episodes. And we we specifically pre-recorded that podcast, I think it's safe to say, kind of with the idea that it would be deployed um, when the subject of this podcast um, came to pass. So I'll uh, kick it over to you, my friend. Exactly. Uh, if you've been following uh, either my Twitter feed or Anne's um, blog, I guess if you if you only follow the podcast, this might be a mild surprise. But um, you, you've heard of Tiny Princess, uh, my daughter who was born back in April, she passed away uh, a week ago Sunday, and she passed away about 7.30 in the evening in her mom and I's arms, and uh, as you might imagine, that was a very emotional experience, and we mentioned just a second ago that the, that the last podcast that came out was recorded in August, but we're talking about Tiny Princess just passing now. We were, were prepared, my wife and I. The, literally the day she was born, we were pre- prepared that she may not live the weekend. She was born early on a Saturday morning. We didn't know if she'd make it even to Monday. And can you can you give a quick rundown for maybe if there are a few people who who aren't quite aware of the situation, just briefly and in, in broad terms, what what her what her malady was? The the general um, diagnosis is holoprosencephaly, and that's kind of a spectrum of diagnoses. But in in general, this is the condition that develops very early in gestation, where the forward lobe of the brain, in normal development, it will bifurcate into the left and right spheres of the brain, and then normal brain development happens from there. Which is, you know, we get the concept of light right brain versus left brain. Well. In the case of holoprosencephaly, the lobe not only doesn't bifurcate, but it also doesn't grow either. So there are a number of maladies that come as a result of this. One of it is micro, or one of them is microcephaly, so small, small head, because you don't have the brain mass to fill up the cranium, so the cranium never gets pushed out as as uh, development and growth happens in a normal fetus. The other thing is. The brain doesn't develop. I know I just said that, but I'm going to go a different direction with this. Of conceptions where science knows about the diagnosis of holoprosencephaly or HPE happening, only about 3% make it to birth. And part of that is the fact that there's not even sufficient brain function for the fetus to develop to the point of even being born alive. So when when ladies have, say, for example, first trimester miscarriages, not infrequently, what has happened is that this condition arose at conception and then it just the 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 child wasn't viable. And that's this might be I mean, this is a this is a percentage of what miscarriages are. Probably Um, it's it's not something that happens at at uh, conception. Uh, but it happens very early in fetal development. I don't. I don't know exactly when the f- the frontal cortex splits. Um, mm-hmm. Those of you with MDs who are listening or who are married to MDs might be able to email in and say, "Hey, here's where it happens this far in." But it's not something that's immediate at the point of conception. It's also a, a situation where there is nothing that was done that caused it or that could have been done to avoid it. It just has a random chance of happening. Uh, I think the doctor said that we would have to have about 2,000 more babies to have another one like this, statistically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. even if you're breeding like rabbits, which Francis doesn't advocate, we're probably not going to get there anytime in this lifetime. So the the possibility of this happening, it's it's a random freak occurrence. And it's one of those things that 
in the eyes of the world, you say, why does God do this? Actually, bookmark that. We'll get back to it. Anyway, the, yeah. the, the, the <laughs> we're point, getting there. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. But uh, I, I mentioned that of of the of the preborn who are known to have this condition, only three percent of them are born alive. Of those who are born alive, only one percent even make it to six months, which is why wow. the doctors were telling us um, from day one it looked like she had either a trisomy condition or they they listed off a whole litany of things it could have been but they said what they were certain about is there was a genetic defect of some sort that that was there and uh-huh. uh, she was born not breathing that was a pretty good clue and uh, yeah. she was born at home and uh, we have a really good midwife so that when I ask the question do we need to baptize she knows what we mean by that you know we, we under she understands that eternal life is what we're born for and if I'm asking that question or my wife is asking the question, do we need to baptize the baby? We are asking, is there imminent chance of death before there can be any other medical intervention? She said, yes, baptize now. So mm-hmm. I did. And um, it one, one of the, so two days later she was uh, confirmed. And and part of that, since, since the priests weren't there to give the, the sacrament of baptism, I had to write this affidavit to uh, describe uh, the baptism. And I was told later that usually a one-sentence um, description of what you did is good enough. I filled up like almost two full pages in like minute <laughs> details. Like, I don't want this. You know, I was thinking from the point of view of the most jaded, looking for loopholes, devil's advocate saying, you didn't possibly do it right. I went over every possible detail. I might have even included the phase of the moon. I don't recall exactly. But I put every <laughs> possible detail in there I could. And and um, I, I got the impression the priest got a pretty good laugh out of that and said, yeah, it works. It's covered. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so later that day, the priest, uh, that, that was a Monday, came in and, and, and baptized Tiny Princess. So, or not baptized, confirmed Tiny Princess. So she had... Now, oh, I have a question. When she was confirmed, was she given a First Holy Communion at that point? No. We asked no. Okay. about that. And, and part of the condition that she had is that she couldn't exactly consume food, at least in, initially. And that yeah. was something we had also asked about at some other point in time, whether or not... Uh, the the smallest um, drop of, of the precious blood could be given to her to be absorbed because some of the medicines that she was given for fighting seizures were given under the tongue to be absorbed through the uh, mm-hmm. through the me- the membranes there apparently under the tongue is some place that uh, absorbs things very rapidly mm-hmm. and I, we'd asked about that and they said yes technically she could absorb the precious blood and there would not be the 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 worry of, of spilling or spitting up, but at the same time, because you can't absolutely be certain that she wouldn't have another type of condition, which is also common with the holoprosencephaly and the seizures and all the rest, where she really would spit up, since we can't rule out that she would do that, it, it's prudent that they don't give First Communion. And it, it's not a deprivation. I mean, this is sure. a soul who's been baptized and confirmed. In terms mm-hmm. of holy innocence and that's lowercase h lowercase i she's definitely in heaven and she's definitely at a threshold where she's not going to be missing out on anything let's right. put it that way she's um I, i've heard it referred to that that the saints in heaven are as they're at 100 percent capacity of happiness now the only question is you know, okay so what's the difference between somebody who's at the very back row of heaven versus somebody who like our lady who is as close to god as possible it's it's the of course any any picture you draw in your mind about this is wrong because it yeah it, it's we're we're thinking in human physical terms not in spiritual terms but our our lady would would be you know 50 million uh, olympic swimming pools and we're like a thimble Right. It's it's the capacity. Each each one can be filled up to 100%, but mm-hmm. the capacity is very different. So, yes, she is as happy as she could possibly be, and we made sure that we were able to max out her capacity to be <laughs> as big as possible spiritually. Um, and and after that, it was a matter of as, as long as God allowed her to be with us, 
she couldn't gain merits, but we could gain merits for ourselves through her in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, in, in the case of, of some of the saints, for example, the, the last days of St. Gerard Magella, for example, he was afflicted with a condition where he was constantly vomiting and, and had diarrhea and all kinds of other just gross things that you think of in terms of, I would never want to be like that at the end of my life. And for somebody like, uh, a conscious adult like that it's it's a humiliation for them to accept voluntarily and since he was so humble and accepted that and conformed himself to the will of god in that respect uh, he was actually questioned by some of the other monks of whether or not he was wearing perfume because god so blessed his humility that even these bodily excretions had the smell of perfume which wow Think about that for a minute. Yeah, um, yeah. Tiny Princess didn't exactly have that level of sanctity, <laughs> but uh, we, she definitely gave us the opportunity to earn merits and offer things up um, through her. So she she maxed out her abilities, or we, we cooperated with the opportunity God gave us to allow her to max out her, her abilities, and then we cooperate with that. You know, she would have seizures and storm and keep us up at night, and uh, we had to... Rather than be angry about it, accept the fact that this is this is a precious life that God gave us, and yeah, we lost a lot of sleep as a result. And um, but we also we also are are you know my wife and I we're, we're parents of saints, a saint, hopefully saints, um, and that's something that no matter no matter how bad it got on any given night, where. Um, I especially felt for my felt for my wife on the nights where the next day I had to work and Tiny Princess would start storming from midnight and through to through two o'clock, and my wife would get up and take her downstairs so that I could sleep and then go to work the next day because we did have help during the day frequently, or somehow she would catch some rest somewhere, or maybe not, but she would. She would definitely. She definitely lost a lot of sleep. Um, I did too, but she more. She more so than me. We lost a lot of sleep, but we offered that up as much as possible. And sometimes it took a reminder, and sometimes that felt snarky, like, "Hey, don't forget the grace we're being given." It's like, "Yeah, but I want to sleep." You know, that's yeah. that's how that's how crosses work. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're not pleasant. They're not supposed to be. Uh, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, talking about when the the whole process of, of conversion. And when you are either converting from not being Catholic or, or going from being a lax Catholic to uh, more seriousness, often there's that first stage of consolation where you, you have this definite, almost emotional, something you can feel tangibly of happiness. And certainly we had that at times, a tiny princess. But it's not a very mature feeling, spiritually speaking, or it's not a very mature love feeling either. Once you have those consolations to reward you for starting down that path, what God does is he will withdraw those from you. And it's not because he's mean. It's not because he's a jerk. The whole point is that you need to be in love with the God of consolations, not the consolations of God. Mm, and that mm, takes... Well said. It's, well, it's actually St. Teresa of Avila. But it takes a step of, of moving forward and embracing the cross. And, and growing with it. So there were so many blessings that accrued through God giving tiny princess to my family, you know, loss of sleep, being able to care for her, being able to, you know, I just thought I was doing my duty, but many of my friends and, and, and uh, people who've listened to my descriptions on the podcast, emailing in saying, Hey, you're such a powerful witness. It's like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And, I've I've wondered at times how can I be more maybe missionary isn't really the right word how can I be more proactive in helping bring Christ to people and I realized in retrospect maybe she was the answer to that in a lot of cases that you know I've I've got these talents as a nerd that I can record podcasts and keep websites going and things like that and so I can help you with 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 everything you do and and mm-hmm. you definitely reach a certain audience that responds to as i put it in some blog post something along the lines of a, a blowtorch a baseball bat and, and a bullhorn some people <laughs> need that spiritually speaking to wake up and actually do something 
Others, it just takes a subtle word and encouragement, and then they're off to go, but they don't need to follow your blog. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of the emails that come in through your blog. That's why I'm so eager to help you with what you're doing is because I know results come about, and I've got this meager skill set. I'm not really good at communicating to somebody why they need to become Catholic. I've been a traditional Catholic my entire life. I can't relate to somebody who grew up as a Protestant or even somebody as, who grew up as a Novus Ordo Catholic, or I'm sorry, Catholic who went to the Novus Ordo Mass. I, I'm still even trying to shed the term Novus Ordo Catholic. It's just so second nature because of how I've grown up. I don't know that I can do outreach for, for people like that because I just have such a mindset that's not well disposed to it. But then someone like Tiny Princess comes into my life and just it, it didn't phase me for a minute. I mean, my first thought, I mean, even from when, when she wasn't breathing and had to baptize her right away and the midwife mentioned that uh, there, there was, you know, a sign of a cleft lift. There could be, um, I forget the, all of the possibilities she mentioned between uh, saying it could be downs. It could be this, it could be that. Hey, dial nine one one. My first thought was, to the degree that I was actually able to contemplate and reflect on anything was, wait, if we have a baby with disabilities, does that mean she can't defend God? That's a massive blessing. I get to be the dad of a saint, no questions asked. Certainly, you know, it, traditional Catholic families, we don't have a ton of kids in order to maximize the possibility that one of them is a saint. We hope they're all saints. Right. And we do our best to raise them all accordingly, but none of it's certain. I was just talking with somebody earlier tonight about, you know, the, the whole idea of you have to raise your kids protected from the world right now. And especially talking about social media and Facebook and internet and all the garbage out there in the world, you've got to protect them from that. Yeah. But at the same time, there comes a point where you have to transition them into the reality of what they're going to be stepping into. You're going to be releasing them into the world at some point. They're going to have to step out into the world and be a witness for Christ. And if the first step out there is such a scandal, they can't handle it. You failed. And honestly, I don't know how that works exactly. My oldest isn't old enough to be imminently stepping out into the world yet. So I'm still trying to figure out how that conversation is going to go, how I'm going to prepare my kids for that. I don't know. But from the the very first moment, you knew that Tiny Princess was a person, as you said, that would never, ever, ever offend God. And... And it turned out that she she did have, and kind of in a certain, and I guess you could say she continues to have an apostolate because people were praying for her and were being edified by you and your example while she was here in the Vale of Tears. Now, <laughs> I have been thinking about this all week. <laughs> I'm just imagining her arriving at the beatific vision and you know it's like uh, people have on their cell phones speaking of speaking of uh, social media and all that when people have all of these notif- various notifications on their phone you know you have you have 15 new emails you have 47 twitter notifications you have 23 facebook whatever I can only imagine what hers looked like when when she entered into the beatific vision and had it, you know, explained to her who exactly all of these people are that are now that are now praying and asking for her intercession and that so she she has an apostolate right now and will continue to. And it's it's funny you mention it that way. I was I was mentioning this to a friend of mine who was also a computer programmer and a pretty advanced computer programmer this weekend, he was asking me, uh, hey, how you doing? Uh, how, how you holding up? And I mentioned that, you know, during downtimes when I, I needed a little bit of time to distract myself, running, you know, going on, not running, driving on errands to go get something, I'll listen to a podcast or two. And I was listening to a podcast on concurrency, multi-threading, and, and um, uh, massive parallel programming. 
And the thought occurred to me halfway through this podcast, which is about as geeky as it gets. If you're falling asleep, even hearing me talk about it. Yeah, it's that dry for the most people. But it occurred to me, it's like the whole idea of that topic is how do you write a program to have massive amounts of content thrown at it and handle it without sweat? And what we think of here on Earth, three, four people try to ask us questions at once. We can't handle it. We can Mm -hmm. barely handle two people asking us questions at, at once. But in heaven... I don't think there's a problem with Tiny Princess answering all 7 billion people on Earth <laughs> asking questions yeah. at once. We're talking about a glorified soul at this point. You know, that, but, and that brings up a really good point. And it, I wish I, I think you can you can speak to this because I think we've conversed about it privately before. And that is and I but I think a lot of people are curious about this or confused about this. Um, and that is the state of of maturity, if you will of when, when a an infant dies, when a child who has birth defects, et cetera, dies, what are they quote unquote like in heaven? And, you know, if you could speak to how how they become the full fruition of themselves as rational intellects, I think people would be really interested in hearing that. I don't know that that is dogmatically defined. I think it is held that the soul in heaven is at the apex of physical being. So for a minute, well, I don't know, the argument could be anywhere from 18 to 35 or whatever the equivalent is for women. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to even step there in terms of jokes and everything. But there is also the comment, though, that if you had any maladies in life, so let's say you had uh, either through a disability from birth, you had uh, your right arm didn't work, or in, from an accident, you had your right arm taken off. In heaven, you would be complete. Uh-huh. However, it is also said that the martyrs would have as marks of glory the marks of martyrdom. So if somebody was beheaded, they would have their whole body, but they would have like radiant light emanating from the point around their neck where their head was severed. Mm-hmm. Especially the 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 reference being to Christ Himself, He has the five wounds of the Passion forever in heaven, and that's not a defect. That that's a mark of excellence. It's a mark of glory. In the same sense that altar servers or anybody east of the communion rail, liturgically speaking, you don't wear jewelry. You are not allowed to wear jewelry when you're serving on the altar unless it is a mark of excellence. So, in the case of bishops, you wear your bishop's ring. If the altar server happens to be a married man, he wears his his wedding ring. Anybody else, if you're wearing one of those silver chastity rings for uh, single kids, who yeah, it's a nice thing, but take it off because you're not allowed to have that east of the communion rail. Mm-hmm. In, in in the sense of saints in heaven, anything which would be a mark of excellence, they're going to keep. Now, I don't know how that would relate to an infant born with holoprosencephaly. I don't know that there was anything about that that per se would be a mark of excellence. I mean, my wife's mom died uh, about 15 months ago. So one one of the comments that that you know she and her sister were saying was, "Hey, mom gets to hold her her grandchild in heaven now." Or is she embracing a fully adult version of Tiny Princess? We won't know this until the general judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that that. Um, based on what we know, based on what has been revealed from common sense and uh, interpretations of the doctors, the church, that those people in heaven would be fully grown adults. Unless there is something about the way they lived or died that would be a mark of excellence for them to be otherwise. Perhaps the holy Mm -hmm. innocents who were killed because Herod couldn't kill Christ, maybe they really will be babies but fully sentient and and have full use of reason. And the fact that they will be babies or the size of babies is a mark of excellence because they gave their life for Christ at that time. I'm just saying this off the top of my head. I could be completely wrong about this. I hope to find out. (laughs) I look forward to finding out, but we don't, we don't know the answer to this. And it's, it it is something that we we look forward to finding out about. So you've over the past week, you've had a few, a few little random things in, in life as you've been getting back into a nor- normal flow of life that kind of jumped out at you. Do you want to tell us a few stories? Well, the day after Tiny Princess died, I, I wrote an email to friends and family. And I, I did a 
an edited version of this and posted it on Medium, which if you follow my Twitter feed, you probably have already seen it. And if you haven't, then look for it in the show notes. I'll put the link in there where I was collecting my thoughts the morning after of what had transpired. And the the time when it was obvious what was happening, you know, she was about to breathe her last. Her mom was holding her. I was holding her and her mom. And um, obviously it was a very emotional time. We were doing our best to see if there was some kind of medical intervention we could do to get her breathing again. Um, if there was something we could do, you know, we don't want her to die. I mean, we understand her, her, her place is in heaven. She's going to be there sooner or later, but whether selfish or not, we, we kind of want her here as long as possible. Even though it's a lot of work to keep her alive and keep her in the home, we love her, we want her here. And so the realization that, yes, she had finally passed was hard. And, you know, there's a certain protocol to be followed. She was on hospice care, so we called the hospice nurse, and they have to come over and verify vitals and say, yes, call the funeral home. And from that point, I kind of went into what I call on a mission mode. I, mm-hmm. I'm able to, be, or it's. I'd like to think I could turn off my emotions and just do what has to be done and not really think about what's going on in order to help out everyone around me. And so things like um, clearing out the living room, getting ready for the fact that we have friends and family coming over, contacting the pastor, contacting family, contacting close friends, letting them know what happened, asking for prayers because we're not really sure with certainty what's going on yet doing all of that and getting ready. I mean, it, there, to a certain point I can kind of turn off the emotions and, and work on that. And maybe that's a male thing. Maybe it's military. Training. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It is. <laughs> but every once there were some little things that would kind of pull me back into the reality of it. And one of, they were very unexpected. One of them that kind of caught me by surprise. I was, you know, just doing chores, cleaning up and clearing out the living room and, going back and forth between the kitchen and making sure that my wife had, you know, a drink of water, or the guests had something catch out of the corner of my eye. The coffee maker lights are on and our, you know, I, the, it, when tiny princess, um, was still with us, coffee always started at five in the morning because that's what time it had to start for me to get up and have coffee as soon as I got up, because that started the hour and a half time that I had with her before the nurse would come in the morning and that was my exclusive time with her. And that was always a very special time. And she was exclusively mine at that point in time. I could I could just be with her and let her wrap her hand around my, my pinky and, and, and be with her. And it while the rest of the house was quiet and slept. It, it was it was the neatest thing in the world. And in turning off the coffee maker, I realized that's not gonna happen anymore. And the next morning when I woke up automatically at 5.15 in the morning, because that's what I've been doing for months now, realizing that why I'm automatically waking up at this time in the morning and what's not here anymore. <laughs> you know, that that's when I started assembling the thoughts in my mind for this, you know, final or semi-final update to friends and family. And realizing that, should I really be upset? We we are, our children are given to us as a temporary loan. They're, they're not for us. They're for God. Whether we raise them to adulthood or to go out into the world as adults and to serve God as adults and bring God's truth and light to the rest of the world and bring other people to God as a result as well, or whether they are the pure, innocent souls who go straight to God. They're ultimately not for us. And as a parent of somebody who has kids who aren't even teenagers yet, I haven't had to really grapple with that before. And and one of the more stark things that hit me a way harder than I thought it would be, after the, the person from the funeral home showed up and, you know, 
there we're, we're signing off all the or getting all the all the documentation in line for certifying time of death and all the rest we you know put tiny princess's body into her uh the the car seat and take her out to the van for the uh the funeral home to, to for the guy to take her back to the funeral home and and I, I get out to the the curb and I've been carrying her car seat out there and he says I'll take it from here sir I'll take good care of her and I don't know why but it was just one of those lines I wasn't expecting and it's like I'll I'll, I'll take it from here she was mine to raise for God and to turnover at some point but that time is now and I have to let her go and when I think about my other daughters I, typically you think about this you're either turning her over to her husband and he's going to take care of her for the rest of her life or you're turning her over to mother superior for the religious life it's many years down the road but this is now and I didn't quite think about it until the guy said, Hey, I'll, I'll take it from here. And, and it was, the, it was the mix of emotions. It's like, how can I be, how can I be anything but proud and happy for her? She's in heaven and she will be for all eternity. She's seen God face to face, but at the same time, I can't hold her in my arms anymore. And I'm already missing it. And I don't know how many more times I'm going to think about this and, and wish I could have her back and say, I just want to hold you in my arms. And it's this conflicting thought of, I don't want to be selfish, but at the same time, she's reached what she's supposed to. And as much as you can try to prepare yourself for, you know, when she passes to the next life, that was something I never even thought to prepare myself for. And so it was just the fact it it, it hit me so much as a blindside I, I'm I'm almost surprised I didn't like clutch harder and not didn't let go of the baby carrier. I I handed her over and it's like, but it, I really there was that sense I'm not handing it, her over to this guy who's taking her to the funeral home. I'm handing her over to God. She's gone to eternity at this point, and at some point she will have her resurrected, perfected body back. Not today, but it was the sense of letting go and that sense of finality that would, I hadn't thought about that and kind of hit harm, hit, hit hard, hit home harm. Like if you hit, if you say hard and home at the same time, it comes out harm. Um, hit home hard. Well, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for that very intimate, uh, those very intimate words. And I think that, what you have just testified to is probably one of the best explanations I've ever heard anyone give or, or apologies that anyone could give when the question comes up about, um, you know, quality of life, human dignity. I, I hope the listeners understand that tiny princess never cried. Tiny princess never giggled. Um, Maybe you guys don't know if she was maybe able to to focus on things with her eye and see you. Maybe yes, maybe no. It was kind of ambiguous. So I mean, we're talking about, and you could you could hear clearly in Super Nerd's voice the the immense love for this little rational intellect, this little human being that the entire world would say the entire world would say had no quality of life. And this, you, you can use this and you can inform your understanding of this about, take it to the other end of the, of the spectrum. Um, the very elderly, elderly in comas, et cetera, et cetera. And tiny princess is, is a testament to human dignity and, the capacity for for her to engender this tremendous tremendous love even though there was there wasn't there was snuggling and there was holding but there wasn't the the normal things that you think about with a healthy baby 
you know, the, the interaction, the interaction that you have with a baby. And she would be written off by the world as, you know, the term that, that people use as vegetative or something like that. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that saying and articulating just how much you love, you love her. <laughs> well, not, not just my wife and me or my family, but we had several volunteers who would come over and help out in addition to uh, the nuns we mentioned. And I, I will get back to them, uh, the sister servants of Mary. Um, but everybody who helped out, who had a chance to hold her and interact with her, they all said the same thing, that when they held her, there was this sense that they, they couldn't ex- really put into words per se, but the, this sense of just joy and calm. Mm-hmm. And it was radiating from her. I've had several other babies who, when other people hold them, they don't necessarily have those adjectives to say. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're pretty active. <laughs> it's it's more like, okay, you can have them back now. But uh, with, with Tiny Princess, it was, you know, they said, we come over from 10 to 2 on Saturday. It's like, can we stay a few more hours? <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, don't, don't mess up your day. I mean, we, we've... We can take over if you need to. You've got stuff to do too, but you know we're not kicking you out either. So, yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was very humbling from that respect too. It's there was something extraordinarily special about her. I can't put it into words. It's and it's one of those things. I talk about the the hour and a half that I had her all to myself in the morning that you could kind of experience. It was just you know that this radiance coming from her. I think I wrote in one of my letters to family and friends there, there was times when I would I'd be holding her, I'd close my eyes and I would think that it would be appropriate that when I open my eyes, the room would be filled with this radiant light because mm-hmm. that's what it felt like coming off of her. You know, the, the eyes of the body can't see what the eyes of the soul see. And, you know, we will in the next world. But there, there was just something about her that, you know, even the most casual of observer and helper outer or whatever the right adjective is there could sense. And, and, um, I, I, I'm extraordinarily humbled that God bestowed that grace on my family. Honestly. I mean, I, I kind of made the tongue in cheek joke. It's like, what in the world has God got in store for me that I need a saint for a daughter? Um, I don't know. And, 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 um, one of the priests that uh, I sent that, that last, uh, uh, update to family and friends wrote back and made the comment that there, it's common among some of the greater saints of the church that they had younger siblings who died very young as infants. And I want to ah. say, I want to say St. Teresa of the child Jesus was one of them where, um, Zelly and, and, um, to Joseph Martin, Mr. and Mrs. Martin, uh, they had four daughter or four or five daughters that, that lived, but I thought they had at least two or three that were infants and died early in, in life, and clearly they were they were baptized, if not confirmed. And there was the what this priest was driving at is sometimes the great saints. He's he or he was musing, wondering if maybe the great saints had infant saints, infant saint siblings who went ahead of them and prepared the way for them. And when you think about the fact that when this happened, she died on the second Sunday of Advent, where we're contemplating Saint John the Baptist. And his testimony to the disciples of Christ that I am the one preparing the way for Christ. That this is the same time this is happening. Maybe I'm making a connection where it doesn't exist. Or maybe Tiny Princess is preparing the way for something that we won't know yet. And we will only in its completion. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's food for thought to keep in mind for a later time. Kind of in the same way that um, Mary kept the words of Christ in her heart of don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business. Uh-huh. We won't know what that means until it's completed. Well, Mary probably knew because she had infused knowledge to the degree that even the angels didn't have, but it's almost unfair to compare her to the rest of humanity. Yeah. But I digress. It, it definitely is a, a massive blessing that I can't think of anything I did to earn it. And I can only hope to live up to whatever this means going forward. And it's it, it it's kind of intimidating in a sense. It's like when, when you're given this kind of opportunity, I'm wondering 
what's coming next. And I, I don't mean this out of fear, but I, I certainly am hoping to be ready for it as much as possible. And at least I have the, the prayers of Tiny Princess to fall back on to help me be ready for it. So, Absolutely. Will, will you tell us a little bit about the, the funeral mass? Which was not a requiem mass. Ah, uh, yes, yes. The uh, so I have spent my entire life around the uh, the traditional mass. I grew up among the the followers, the SSPX, and I've been to many, many, many funerals. But in my entire, I even trained altar boys when I was in high school. So I, I and I was I prepared um, countless ceremonies and and have prepared for all kinds of unusual and rare ceremonies including even ordination of priests and in, in, or an ordination of a priest in, in the traditional rite i cannot remember ever being part of or witnessing the voted mass of the angels for the requiem of, of a child of an infant who was baptized so i couldn't i couldn't remember you know where exactly does the coffin go part of my brain wants to say well wait a minute this child's in heaven shouldn't shouldn't the coffin be east of the communion rail or no, it, it, that doesn't make sense. Um, I, it's one of those things where I, I struggle with uh, uh, a, a deep aversion to what I call trad reinventionism. We, a lot of traditionalists don't have that connection, unbroken connection to tradition. So we kind of make things up that seem pious. And mm-hmm. so I, I had this idea. It's like, well, wait, should the coffin be in the in the san- within the sanctuary? And I emailed a couple of priest friends and got, got a very definite answer: No, it's outside yeah. the sanctuary like usual, but it's covered in white with white flower or, or with white candles, white white flower or not white flowers, but flowers. And the 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 liturgy does not pray for the person in the coffin; they're praying to the person in the coffin. Mm-hmm. And the votive mass of the angels is selected because it's one of the votive masses that has the, the Gloria and you can accompany with the organ. And anybody who went to a Latin mass this last weekend, you might've heard the priest say that during this relaxed penitence during Advent, we wear rose color um, vestments and we have the organ. And I was thinking, we just had the organ on Thursday also because of Tiny Princess's funeral. Because even in a time of mourning, hey, this is not mourning here. We've got a saint. We're going to play the organ for her. And and we had you know a beautiful choir arrangement. In fact, the intro and exit of this podcast is actually recorded from that mass, the uh, the secret chervis. So it's it's um it's a it's a beautiful thing even even during advent we're going to pull out the stops and celebrate the fact we've got a soul going into heaven with certainty so it's it's not like the typical um funeral to which you go and something else i i'm kind of ashamed that i never really thought of this before but it dawned on me during the the week um making make getting all of the funeral arrangements taken care of and getting the plot taken care of and and she was she was buried in a catholic cemetery along with the the other innocents uh the children who are baptized but died before they had the use of reason these are all saints mm-hmm. i mean in the back of my mind i knew that there was a section in the cemetery for those born without um who hadn't or who were baptized before they reached the age of reason but it never quite clicked because i'm kind of dumb and i have original sin working against me these are saints. And if you live close to a Catholic cemetery and you have a section like this, go there and pray to these saints. They're local yeah. saints. Support your local saints. Go pray to your local saints. And the sad truth is, is not very many other people are. <laughs> and so they're, <laughs> again, we're, I'm being silly talking about mathematical quantities and things like that with regards to people in the beatific vision. But I think it, it's also a point to be made that the, these little people probably in this day and age, nobody's nobody's asking them for their intercession. So, you know, they're, they're there and they're, they're happy to hear you, I suppose. 
Well, we made the comment not that long ago with regard to the souls in purgatory that there are many, many, many souls in purgatory that people have totally forgotten that they they ever even existed. Existed, yeah. And I would imagine the case is sadly the true in the same respect for a lot of these innocent souls who are in heaven. We talked about you made the analogy of of, of having you know four hundred emails or however many Twitter notifications and Facebook and all the rest, some of these saints are sitting on zero and have been for a long time. They're just waiting for somebody to, to ask them for something so they can help them. Exactly. <laughs> and they're right in your neighborhood. They were right in where you live. They are your local saints. Mm-hmm. They'd probably be overjoyed <laughs> to be able to help you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so by all means... And I realize that in certain parts of the world, Catholic cemeteries might be few and far between, but I would hope that's the exception. I don't know. Ah, uh, they're out there. They're out there. And I think I think most people know, even even in in my personal experience, even in parts of rural Kansas that aren't um, aren't ethnically Catholic, you you would always see that there was there was a Catholic cemetery. I mean, you know. But yeah, definitely there are are saints there who are willing to and almost certainly eager to answer your prayers if only you will ask them and um it's possible you don't even have to call them by name just you know before you even go out and look at the at, at the tombstones and figure out you know do do the math on birth and end date their birth and, and death dates um they're they're probably eager to to help you even if you're you haven't figured out who they are yet so sure just stand there and say, hey, everybody, <laughs> they know, they know. So they know and God knows. And Our Lady, the Mediatrix of all graces, she knows. So Absolutely. I didn't really have any more notes beyond this. I mean, I think I pretty much covered it. Um, well, you, you, <laughs> you, your witness and, and your testimony is, is more above and beyond. I mean, you know, obviously whatever whatever privacy privacy and space you know that that you and super mommy and the family want or need and i can only thank you and on behalf of all the listeners thank you for for your candor and 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 sharing this with us well and and something i mentioned earlier too with, with regard to um things to support um when we made the arrangements with the funeral home for visitation, one of the questions they asked was, are there any organizations or causes that you wanted to have folks donate to? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them we definitely wanted to support was the Sister Servants of Mary. That's the, the content where the, since uh, I think it was early October, when, when we did the, the Novena to St. Anne. To St. Anne, yeah. That, um, we connected with 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 that uh, convent. We we knew of them, but had kind of forgotten about it, um, mm-hmm. and then remembered, thankfully. But uh, they they, they were, turned out to be fantastic, right? Oh, absolutely! I mean, and yeah, huge, yeah. huge help, and uh, just a, a tremendous, a tremendous apostolate too, and, and not just yeah, for th- tell, tell people what they do because it's it's it, it's not just for infants. It's it's mostly for like hospice care, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, well, hospice care is their entire mission. Uh, typically, it's it's for older adults, um, people who need round the clock uh, care. Um, for for people who who don't have enough help in the family to help them overnight, so maybe it's it's a granddad with Alzheimer's. I'm I'm picking at straws. I never asked about the particular diagnosis of of the other people they help, but somebody who needs overnight help and the primary caregiver needs to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things they do. All of the members uh, of the of the convent are at least a CNA, which is certified nurse assistant or higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a third order as well, so young ladies who don't necessarily have a call to the religious life but would like to help out until they have their other call in life um getting a cna is pretty easy from what i've heard so or at least not too involved and if you know otherwise podcast at barnhart.biz let me know about uh, the, the qualification requirements for cna and we can pass that along but uh, it's it's definitely one of those worthwhile things that it, it's not just nice it's also a practical uh it's a, it's a corporal work of mercy 
it's a spiritual work of mercy as well. I, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that uh, we would pick up the nun at 8.30 in the evening, and from 8 to 8.30, she'd be doing a holy hour, or they all would, actually, those, those who are going out on assignment for the night. They'd be doing a holy hour before Jesus and the Holy Sacrament, and part of this was you know, adoration, obviously, of Jesus and the Holy Sacrament, but also in preparation of the fact, I'm going to encounter you through another here in a moment, and remind me or I'm, I'm going to perfect my love for you by taking care of somebody else and, and, and living those, those words that you, whatever you do to the least of, of my brethren, you do to me. And so living, living that uh, vocation in that respect, that's, that's really what they do. And another interesting thing about this particular order, or at least the, the, the one here, the convent here locally, they all came out of Mexico. Uh, I think the original order, the original house is out of Spain. And, um, they were in Mexico, and then when the when the Cristeros revolt happened, when it was mm. essentially illegal to be Catholic in Mexico, the, yeah. instead of the nuns all disbanding and becoming uh, civilians, they went to the U.S., which is nice. ironic because the U.S. was arming the government, which was cracking down on the Catholics, but I digress. That's how this order came to the U.S., and then they stayed here. So the, the order did restart in Mexico, but the, the a lot of the houses or a few of the houses here in the United States started because they were cracking down on Catholics in Mexico. So they came north to Masonic territory and set up a shop and have been doing it ever since. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Masonic because, you know, for those of you who don't know about the Cristero War, that was, in fact, a Freemasonic, overtly, it was a Freemasonic revolution. Um, and I believe it's a little known fact, but it is still technically on the books in Mexico today that I believe that it is illegal for a priest to wear a cassock on the street in Mexico due to this Freemasonic revolution that happened in the early part of the 20th century. And there was there was a movie, a pretty decent movie a few years back um, about the Cristero War. I can't remember what it's called. Do you remember what that movie was called? In Spanish, it was La Cristiada and... Um... For greater glory, it was the title in for English. For greater glory, exactly. And they had an glory. all-star yeah. ensemble for that. It's oh, one yeah. of those things that when I when I saw it in the in the cinema, and and realized what they would pulled off, it's like how in the world did they get this past all of the the operatives in Hollywood? How did this get through? It was probably self-financed. I suspect it was self-financed. I don't by know somebody. if it was. I mean, because because the passion that was just Mel Gibson footing the bill himself and mm-hmm. making out like a bandit as a result because it, it was a, it was obviously something that was a, a great idea. But I don't know who financed that for the for the Cristeros movie. That it, well, the ensemble they got together for. I mean, if you look at who all was in in um, the Passion of the Christ, uh, Jim Caviezel. Yeah, he'd been in some roles before, but did anybody know who he was previously? They Before had, Passion of the Christ? No, no. But there was like a dozen A-listers in, in the Cristero movie. Yep. Kind of all, if you pull it up, kind of all of the big name Hispanic movie and TV stars have at least some role in it. And then Peter O'Toole was the um, was oh, that's the, right. the Anglo priest. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about him, yeah. And and the, the little boy... Um, I forget his name, but that was they. They were very faithful to to the story of 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 his his actions and his martyrdom. So, yep. Anyway, the the, uh, the, the Jose, con- Jose Luis Sanchez. Jose Luis Sanchez is the little boy. I'll take your word for it. I, I'm not up on I the pulled history. It up. At the I pulled it up on Wiki. So. <laughs> That's one of the advantages of doing this on the internet is we can pull up Wikipedia and sound ten ten times smarter than we really are. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the, the point is that during the time when all this was happening in Mexico, this particular order of nuns decided rather than shutting down shop and um, trying to figure out uh, what to do, they decided to go north and um, find a more permissive environment in the Masonic land of the United States. Mm-hmm. Ironic as that sounds. But anyway, they migrated up here in the Midwest to you know about 20 miles from where I live, honestly. And uh, it was very fortunate. And so uh, it... At the end of the podcast here in a few minutes, uh, I'm, I'll go through the typical acknowledging the the donors to SuperNerd Media, but rather than saying, "Hey, if you found value in this, send some value back," I'm saying, "No, send send them to the to this convent." And I'll I'll, I'll put some information in the show notes as well sure. um, about this because it's it's a tremendous work of mercy they're doing, spiritual and 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 
and corporal work of mercy. And it's the kind of thing, I think you made the comment before on a previous podcast, this was typical in days gone yeah. by, that this, these are the kind of things that, that the church would do. Uh, yeah. These medical and other works of mercy. You, mm-hmm. you look at what the, the convents and the monastery used to do, you could wipe out eight-tenths of the federal government and, and exactly. all the social programs based on what the church used to do. Yep. Oh, well, that's another episode, or, or actually, we probably have an episode or two where we discuss that, but this is not this is not the episode for that, so. No, we, we, we have discussed it as well, too, or previously, that um, if things were more ideal, that we would rely on uh, the monasteries and convents to do so much more of, of what the government does, because not just because the, the fact you don't pay them as much, <laughs> Setting, mm-hmm. setting aside the whole Obamacare garbage, uh, even if you pay them the same, and I was making this argument to um, a non-Catholic coworker of mine 15 years ago at work about uh, why we needed to turn healthcare over to uh, the Catholic Church, and I was saying, "Look, do you want value for your for your tax money?" She's like, "Yeah." It's like, "Do you want actual good medical care?" Yeah. Okay, who's going to give you better care? Somebody who's chasing. Uh, a good payday for their skills or somebody who's practicing this because they think that what they do here, whether you believe it or not, is going to help them in the next life. And even this very jaded, I don't know if she was atheist or not, person had to admit somebody who thinks they're doing this for a higher cause is probably going to do a better job. Yes. And and you're going to get it for about a third the cost or less. Yep, or less. Yeah, and, and, and in terms of uh, the Sister Servants of Mary, they never charged us anything. And I, I hope to reimburse them and, <laughs> and then some in terms of, you know, driving donations our direction and, and uh, making some donations myself. Um, and also for any, any mobile app developers out there, I'll mention this at some point in the future, uh, just the whole idea of uh, rideshare coordination. There, it was something that was a little bit lacking in, in terms of coordinating, not just for, we, we found a website for Tiny Princess where people could sign up to give rides for the, the sisters in the evening or in the morning, but they didn't have any resources like this. And I'm thinking, hey, I've got skills to be able to pull this off. I'm going to do this at some point. So that is going to be something I want to do in 2019 is, is put together something for, for them. And it, it, it's not just for them. It could be for any, it could be for a religious or it could be for for profit for all I care. I don't know. This is something that could, that could be done for good. And mm-hmm. so I might be reaching out to folks who can do some programming um, to put together something for this in the future. So mm-hmm. definitely want to help them out and, and make their life easier because they're yeah. definitely not only do they, not only at the superficial level, they're making life easier for so many people, but they're, they're doing this for God. And yeah, I want to help out with that. You betcha. There, there aren't many ways that programmers can just give their skills directly to God. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> so when I find one, it's like, I want to do that. All right. Well, keep us posted on that. And I'm sure you'll get you'll get numerous uh, numerous emails about that from the listenership. And if you want to jump in in advance on that, uh, the podcast, for, or the other way around, the email address for the podcast is podcast at barnhart.biz. And masses for Anne's benefactors every single day of the week. Yep. including today, including yesterday, including tomorrow. And yep. every week there's a, a Requiem Mass offered for everybody who died the previous week. Mm-hmm. Um, Which did not include Tiny Princess. I was going to say, I don't know if that did or didn't because that's probably a typical nope. Requiem, but <laughs> if somebody fits the Tiny Princess profile, I don't think you need to worry about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, in any case, please pray for the priests who are offering these masses. They definitely need the prayers. Uh, everybody, as Absolutely. much as we do, if not more, uh, they're higher up on Satan's hit list than we are. So, mm-hmm. uh, pray for them because they they definitely are. They definitely need it. Um, yep. I don't even have to know who they are to know that. I just I met a lot of priests and they get a lot of flack. So it goes without saying. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. I mentioned that the the Barnhart podcast is a production of Superdirt Media, and uh, several people donate and submit or, or uh, help sustain that. And I want to recognize, and this is all since November 30th, because it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. I want to uh, recognize Mark, Richard, and Michael, who sent something in via the P.O. Box, and JPF, Jeffrey, Marianne, Teresa, Charles, and especially Erica, who sent something in via PayPal. Thank you very much. Um, 
rather than the typical pitch here about um, donating if you found value from this, I want you to please consider donating to the Sister Servants of Mary. Check the show notes for the spelling of this, and I will also update the Super Nerd Media uh, donation page that... Um, there, I don't know. They don't have a, they don't have a link on their website for donating online. So if you are allergic to writing a check, um, email me and we'll work something out. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll put a I'll, I'll put a link on there, uh, or I'll, I'll I'll put something in the show notes as well as uh, something on the Super Nerd page that if you want to donate to the Sister of Servants of Mary, this is what you make the check out to, and I will drop off these to the to the convent to uh, express our. Now, my personal gratitude and also uh, all, all of the benefactors of um, Tiny Princess because that's one of the things that really has humbled me and, and when I thought about it is, is her reach was not just right here in the local community, but everyone who's heard of her through this podcast, literally global. It's global. Oh, yeah. Literally. There's people all over the world who and it, it's, know It's kind her. of humbling, but yeah, there, there are benefactors from all over the world who have who have prayed for her or sent the donation specifically earmarked use this for tiny princess or use this for super mom to make life easier for her uh during this time and i can't thank you enough for all this um but don't forget the sister servants of mary and also don't forget the matthew 1720 initiative which i'm going to jump in and abri- uh, we'll abbreviate this we'll, we'll skip that on this episode this is all about you and tiny princess let's just we can skip that yeah we'll address that in more detail in a future podcast <laughs> indeed ne- next episode we'll be back to current events and all that there's plenty of time for that but until next time i am super nerd thank you man seriously thank you thank you for doing this be assured of all of our prayers and i'll wrap up by saying tiny princess saint tiny princess pray for us amen thanks guys amen